Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The human zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham. It's time to attention, I'm talking to you! On Talk Radio. Dismiss! Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You can tell it's a school holidays because the rush hour trains have been very quiet today and loads of climate change activists are gluing themselves to all sorts of things around the nation's capital today. Uh, we'll be crossing live uh, to our man on the spot. Of course, uh, Alex Dibble coming up a little bit later on. Apparently they're going to be chanting foul slogans uh, causing all manner of pollution and congestion in their efforts to save the planet. Here's my suggestion to them. If you want to glue yourself to something, I'd be more than happy to come uh, and watch you do so uh, and then leave you there for several days and see how you like it. It's not that warm out there, you know. It gets pretty chilly at night. Uh, we might even set up some kind of tomato throwing stall. We shall see. 03444991000. Coming up in this hour as well, uh, we're going to give a message to Prince Harry and his bride Meghan from the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. I'm very glad you're so keen on doing good works around the world. Uh, I'm very glad that you're good at highlighting the importance of mental health on TV with America's richest woman, Oprah Winfrey. Uh, and of course, you're both perfectly entitled to block the people out of your happy event coming up later this month. Uh, the royal couple, of course, have said that they want to keep the birth of their child private. This despite wanting to make sure that it was a very public wedding that they got involved in, which we paid quite a lot of money towards. Uh, the fact that we also had to have their house redone uh, at quite an expensive cost when they moved on to Mummy's estate in Windsor. You know, I'm sick to death of these people who say, oh, well, part of our lives is private, but the other bit you can have if we choose to give it to you. I don't think so. I want to fire uh, Prince Harry and Meghan. And Markle, because I don't think they're doing any good for this country. The baby belongs to us. We deserve to see the baby whenever we want to. 03444991000. And I'm not being ridiculous. I don't mean we just show up and demand to see the child. But why do they have to be special? Why are they so special? Why are they different from his uh, mother, Princess Diana, and father, Prince Charles? Why different uh, from Prince William? What are so special about Prince Harry and Meghan Markle? 03444991000. We'll talk to Robert Jobson, a royal expert, of course, and royal editor of the Evening Standard coming up. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 
Now, there are many people who are very much in awe of the royal family. There are many people who really don't like the royal family. Now, I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm a big fan of the Queen. I think she's done a remarkable job over the decades that she's been our sovereign. I think she's been incredibly uh, smart. I think she's been incredibly tolerant. And I think she has been a very, very good thing for this country. Prince Charles, I'm not so sure about. Prince William, eh, maybe to a lesser extent. But Prince Harry now is really starting to grind my gears. He's really starting to get on my nerves. After all, it was only a few short years ago that he was parading around uh, with his backside hanging out uh, over in Las Vegas with a load of strippers, right? Now, apparently, uh, he's been reincarnated as St. Harry. He likes to go around running the Invictus Games, which is a very, very good cause and a wonderful thing to do. Uh, he served time in Afghanistan, which many of you on Twitter are reminding me is a very brave thing to do. And no argument with that. I don't mind uh, if he wants to do television shows with Oprah Winfrey, uh, highlighting mental health. I don't mind if he wants to be the ambassador for all sorts of charities going all over the world and doing good things. However, none of that has anything to do with me or my country. It has nothing to do with Britain, has nothing to do with his role as a member of the royal family. So quite frankly, Prince Harry, if you want to be a philanthropist, if you want to be a freelance charity merchant, by all means do so. Do not expect the British public to fund it. It's as simple as that. 0344 499 1000. I know all about the arguments that much of his money comes from his mother's trust. I know all about that, but he still lives at the heart of the royal family in Windsor on the Queen's estate, and we paid to decorate the place. Let's talk to Robert Jobson and see if he agrees with me. Robert, very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Now, I know that you'll be probably slightly less Republican in my in this particular instance on my view, and I'm, I don't count myself as a Republican. I just think it's a bit rich for Prince Harry and Meghan to kind of, you know, take themselves away from the public eye when they feel like it and hurl themselves in front of it uh, when they think it's a good idea. Well, it's a, it's a dangerous game. Yeah. No about it. I mean, because, you know, the royal family does revolve around these um, very high-profile joyous events. You know, they like getting people together, waving the flags. And one of those type of events is the birth of a, a royal baby. So yes. It's an uplifting and happy events. I was a bit surprised they've taken this stance, but it's clearly something they want to do. I mean, yeah, birth of a child is a, a private moment, but at the end of the day, I think that um, they're taking a bit of a risk. And I'm not totally certain it's the wisest thing to do. But, yeah, um, and I mean, listen, I, I, I can... a bit of a backlash. I mean, there will be a bit of a backlash about it. And, you know, I'm, you know, but I was, you know if we talk about the money, most of the money comes from the Prince of Wales anyway. Uh, so... But all, all the cost of the, the you know, cost for security, you know, that's coming from the public yeah. first. So and I also, think yeah. they are taking a chance. Myself. Well, exactly. And also, it's all very well to say, you know, most of the money comes from, you know, Prince Charles and, and the Duchy of Cornwall, which is a private yeah, business. Yeah. But, you know, let's face it, uh, Robert, you know as well as I do, Prince Charles wouldn't be anywhere near as wealthy as he is if he wasn't Prince Charles. You know, and he still gets money. And he still gets and he still gets and he still gets money from the crown. For the by the same token, you know, they lived in Kensington Palace for a very long time. Now they decided to move out of that. But you know, if they want to be private individuals, I've got no argument with that. But she must have known, Meghan, right? If she wanted to keep parts of her life private, that marrying into the royal family in Britain probably wasn't the greatest idea. Well, I think the Queen would be very surprised with this because, you know, as I say, the the royal family is an unelected institution that it's paid for by public uh, taxpayers, public funding. And if you if you actually pick and choose the events you want to celebrate with the royal, with the public, then you are in a bit of a, da- a, bit of a dangerous game. I think that the, she might be looking at it and saying, why exactly are we doing this? I mean, mm. all right, this baby will be eighth in line to the throne or further down the pecking order than William and Kate's babies. And I can understand that. But the reality is, is these two are extremely popular, this country. 
couple around the world at the moment. America are all over them, the TV. And so it's good, pub, positive publicity for this country at a time that, frankly, we need it. And I'm surprised they're taking the stance. I mean, there's been no real proper proper um, explanation for it other than to say they want to spend their time privately with their kid, which is fine. I understand that. But at the same time, I think they're missing the opportunity, which would be helpful at this time post-Brexit when we need all the attention and, and branding and publicity right. that the royal family argue that they exist for. Well, of course. I mean, you and I are old enough to remember writing stories about Harry's mother, um, you know, Princess Diana, and whatever it was that she did, and however you may view her, you know, duty was very much at the heart of the royal family at that time. And you would say certainly from Prince William and Kate's point of view, I mean, she's had to go through some terrible pregnancies and some terrible births, yeah, but has. yet she's done it all quite openly. She's done it... Well, in, I find in... it really odd, Mike. Yeah. There were people at the time saying how wonderful she uh, she did and everything like that, and, uh, by appearing on the steps, and, and, you know, she looked amazing, and I think she did a terrific job. And then there are people now, because Kate, because uh, Megan has decided she wants to do this probably, are actually on Twitter criticising Kate for, for what she did, yeah. which I think it just shows you what a bunch of morons there are <laughs> on, on Twitter. Well, course. I think that's the trouble. I mean, you cannot judge everything by what happens on Twitter. Well, but certainly yeah. there are there are relatively esteemed, um, you know, sort of royal commentators. People are talking about this because the duty side of things seems to have escaped Meghan Markle altogether. You know, there are those who have their doubts about her motivations for things. There are some who think that she's a bit more controlling in the marriage perhaps than she should be. That might be none of our business, but if she's controlling the marriage to the point where the people of this country are somehow missing out on something that they are entitled to see, I think there's a problem. Well, it could be. I mean, I, I think a lot, I mean, the fact is they are low down the pecking order. I mean, the, the, the point of it is... Why, why create an issue over what is a joyous occasion? I don't really see that there's, you know, everyone outside any hospital or anybody will be celebrating this occasion. They wouldn't be there to sort of cast the celebrations. They're there to, 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 to celebrate, yeah. to cheer, to wave the flags and be happy. But they're not given that, being given that opportunity, which, right. in my view, is a bit of a mistake. Well, it's interesting, isn't it, as well, because we've been reading over the last couple of weeks that since the story came out that she doesn't particularly want to use the Lindo wing and she wants to have a, a birth at home, uh, possibly in a, in a birthing pool and all of that. Apparently, the Lindo wing, I'm told, and you may be able to confirm, is still on sort of standby in case she needs to go to the hospital. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the Linda Wing apparently is still on the standby, staff are still on the standby. The fact is, the birth of a child is a, is a very, you know, it's a major operation, yeah. it's a major thing, and she's not the youngest of, of mothers. She's been 37 years, she's old, and you have to have all that extra machinery, extra uh, security around for the birth of a baby. So I'm surprised it's been taken so not lackadaisical, but you know, being dealt with in this way. But I think just, you know, really, in case there's anything that goes wrong, there needs to be, um, you know, all the proper services available. So I would have thought the best place for her is in a in a, in a proper uh, hospital. Well, you would have thought so. I mean, you'll probably have an argument with all sorts of people from the Natural Childbirth Trust who say, of course, there's nothing wrong with being pregnant and giving birth. It's a perfectly natural thing. But I can tell no, you that, no, my, no, 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 that no. one of my children was due to be born in a birthing pool. Um, but unfortunately, it came too quickly, and it wasn't time to fill the pool up. So you know, all sorts of things could go wrong. Do you know what I mean? But what about the tradition of posting the, uh, uh, you know, the, the the announcement on on sort of Buckingham Palace gates on that gold? I think all that will happen. I mean, I think that that probably still happen, and they will announce that the baby has been born 
But what they won't do is emerge on the steps. They will uh, issue a photograph later, probably for the press association, a few days later. Um, I mean, there, there have been, there, you know, that has happened before with the birth of lower-ranking royals. But I think you know, Harry and Meghan are huge news in America, say, uh, and all around the world. And yeah. It does seem a little bit pro-faced to say, you know, well, I'll appear at opera you know, and, and talk about my issues and I want to get all the right. publicity I want you know, for that. And at the same time, when it comes to an issue where the birth of a child, where, you know, if, if people want to nationally celebrate and it will be, you know, the number one item on mm. the news, but they're not allowing that to be uh, shared. Publicly. It's mad, isn't it? I mean, also, we did pay, and again, uh, no matter what anybody says about private money and all that, we paid about three million quid for their ridiculously overhyped wedding, which was full of celebs from America, you know, which had very little probably to do. More, probably, probably more. Probably more, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think we're entitled to ask for a bit of uh, money's worth, aren't we? Well, I, I, mean, I, I mean, my view really is that, you know, the first only kid is a, is a baby, is, is a private moment, really. But, I mean, ultimately, the, the, the public... On something like this, should be allowed to to share that little moment on the steps, mm. just to see the first glimpse of the baby, and and everyone sort of uplifted by it. I think it's a bit of a shame that they're not not doing it. I'm not going to jump up and down about it, but I think that really they could, um, yeah, they could have participated a little bit more. And I think it's a little po-faced. Yeah, well, exactly right. And is there a danger as well that the golden sort of uh, foursome, if you like, which was Wills and Kate and and Harry and Meghan? As, as the new kind of look royal family. Um, a few months ago, looked brilliant. It looked as though they were the future. It's starting to look a bit shaky, that now, isn't it? Well, that, yeah, the, all this fab four business was, was put, put around. But, I mean, uh, again, I was one that fully expected this to change because you can't continue that. Uh, you know, the, the fact is that I think that with, with um, Kate and, uh, and, and William, and, and, and they want to do their own thing. They're going to be based in Kensington Palace, even when... He becomes Prince of Wales and can be based there. So I thought it was inevitable that Harry and Meghan would separate and mm. do their own thing. And I don't think that's a bad a bad thing. They're going to be focused on different charitable causes and brand themselves in a in a different way. You know, that's and we all know that you know branding is everything. Mm. Right? So yeah, of course. I think that that's really where they you know brand Sussex is what they're looking to try to achieve. And of course, the problem for her once again is she's still got even more. Um, sort of reckless relatives, if you like, selling pictures of her childhood to various publications uh, recently. She can't seem to put a stop to any of that. Well, I don't know anybody can put a stop to relatives that want to attack you. I mean, she's, um, they seem to be coin-operated. They, they're not very decent people. <laughs> coin-operated, I love it. And they've treated her pretty badly, actually. I, yeah. mean, I, I don't quite know what has gone on in the past, but surely they could put a line under that and just move on. Yeah, but is it true as well, and a lot of people tell me this, that Harry's very kind of, um, shall we say, control freakish about the press, and he wants to think that he knows more than anybody else about how to manage the press, and given the background of what happened to his mother, I can understand that, but he's not one who likes to take advice, apparently, from his uh, advisors about what to do about newspapers and about media. Well, it's sort of dangerous, isn't it, to sort of... Um have a dog and bark yourself. I mean, the fact is that his father pays a lot of money to um, you know, to have press secretaries and press advisors that are very experienced. And if you're going to think that you can then do it yourself, then it's no point having them. And right. uh, it does seem that, to me, um, they've got a few things wrong recently and um, you know, they should start listening, really. <laughs>
Yes, well, I think you're absolutely right. Robert, thanks very much indeed. Robert Jobson, Royal Editor of the Evening Standard, a uh, good friend of the show, um, also takes my view uh, that this is a dangerous game that they're playing and they could turn the public against them. And everybody knows, particularly the Queen, that the royal family exists in this country because we grant the royal family permission to exist. If we decided to turn on the royal family, then that would be a problem for the royal family, not for the public. And I'm not suggesting that we turn into a republic. I run my own republic, so I don't have to worry about that. But what I can tell you uh, is that I think it is wrong, entirely wrong, for Prince Harry and Meghan to make out that they can pick and choose which parts of their life is free from intrusion. Because you can't. Of course, people are much more sensible now than they used to be. The press are much more sensible now than they used to be because they have been made to be more sensible, and I get that. However, you can't, on the one hand, say, give us £3 million plus so that we can have the greatest wedding of all time. Then, uh, put it all on TV, then decide to have a baby, which your bump is paraded uh, for all to see for months on end. And then when you finally get to have the baby, you go, no. Nobody's going to be anywhere allowed near this. I don't think that's right. I don't think it's fair. And I really think it's very, very unwise. And I'm going to fire Prince Harry and Meghan right now from my uh, representation, as far as I can see. 0344 499 1000 uh, is the number to call us. And I know lots of you want to talk to me. You will all get on. We're here till one o'clock. This is Talk Radio. Coming up in the second hour of the show, we'll be taking loads more of your calls and talking to royal expert Robert Jobson as well uh, about Prince Harry. I've decided I've had enough of Prince Harry and I'm going to fire him, uh, not necessarily from a cannon, obviously, that would be wrong, but just fire him from his job uh, as a duke. The Duke of Sussex and the Duchess of Sussex, as far as I'm concerned, are very nice people. If they want to have a baby, that's very good. I'm very happy for them. If they want to go around the world doing good works, I'm also happy for them. The Invictus Games is a great thing. I'm by no means saying that Prince Harry's a bad guy. I'm getting tweets from people saying he's fought in the armed forces what have you ever done well I'm glad he's fought in the armed forces and he's a very brave guy for doing that doesn't mean that he can do whatever he likes on the public purse I'm afraid and all you people who go on about how oh he's inherited all his money from his mother Princess Diana well where do you think that came from Prince Charles pays his expenses where do you think that money comes from he lives in a house on the Windsor Estate up until recently he lived in a house inside Kensington Palace and he has never ever had to find anybody to look for him to find work for him to do anything for him and if he's going to tell us that we can't have access to see his child because he wants to somehow protect it well i'm sorry i am the child belongs to the nation as far as i'm concerned oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand let's talk to dr alan mendoza there's another story uh, that's winding a lot of people up this morning it is of course uh, that shemima begum uh, the isis bride apparently is in receipt of legal aid to appeal uh, the decision made by Sajid Javid, the Home Secretary, to keep her out of this country and to refuse to grant her British citizenship after she defected to ISIS and actually was sewing uh, suicide vests for suicide bombers and walking around carrying a rifle uh, because apparently uh, she was quite good at carrying out Islamic law. Dr Alan Mendoza, very good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. You're executive director of the Henry Jackson Society. A lot of people very upset this morning. Uh, I released this story on Twitter and, and every, almost everybody, without exception, apart from one or two uh, sort of lefty liberals, basically said, this is outrageous. How could she possibly get um, legal aid, particularly as it is today, the celebration or the commemoration, I should say, uh, of what happened at Hillsborough many, many years ago. And the families of the Hillsborough victims couldn't get legal aid. Well, look, it is outrageous, of course, but it's one of those unfortunate cases where she's gone through a process of applying through a checkbox list 
um, of an independent organization and they have decided to grant it to her and you know we can be as outraged as we would like the reality is though that we are a country that runs on rule of law and if that is the current law if that is what she has applied to do then we have to accept however much that sticks in the throat that she's going to get money from the taxpayer to fund this ridiculous appeal well i mean the thing is though uh, the point about civilized society surely is that the civilized society should be for the civilized people not for the uncivilized people and i'm i'm saying if you go and join a terrorist organization which is already a crime in this country she's already committed a crime people keep saying oh but we don't know what she did you know we don't know whether she committed any crimes we know that she committed a crime by simply going to a terrorist uh, organisation and going to live in a country associated with terrorism. That is now a crime. And I realise that people who are, uh, uh, who are accused of crimes can get legal aid. But surely there ought to be a way of changing the system. Oh, there can be a way of change of this, and that requires a simple change of the law. So the message from this, as, as has been the whole way through this dreadful case, has been the law needs to keep up with changes to what might be perceived as threats to the country. Um, you know, we're in this mess in one sense because she couldn't be excluded by any other means other than withdrawing her citizenship because we um, had outdated treason laws dating from the uh, 14th century. Um, we now have a case where legal aid has been granted because we haven't factored this into our decision making. If someone gives up essentially their principal right to be in this country by joining an enemy combatant, surely that should rob them of the chance to be legal aid. But it doesn't legally at the moment because the law hasn't been changed. We need to change that law. No, quite. And the difficulty, of course, as well here uh, is that, um, you know, there are lots of ambulance chasing law firms who apparently have applied for legal aid on her behalf without actually having been instructed. So it's a whole mess, isn't it? Well, that's part of the whole industry to do with legal aid and how that all works. Look, you know, this shouldn't be an attack on legal aid full stop. It is right and proper that those without access to resources, should they be accused of crimes, ought to have the right to uh, a defence. We all understand that. But you're right, there is an industry around this which has sought to, um, you know, kind of jump on the bandwagon and try and gain access to funds in order to promote, uh, well, to get the money and also to promote themselves. Yes, quite right. So, I mean, as far as this process is concerned, uh, Alan, how long must we uh, endure it? How long does it go on for? Because presumably presumably once you lose the first appeal, which I presume she will, uh, there'll be another appeal and another appeal and another appeal. Well, one can't obviously prejudge, uh, you know, the facts of the case. That's for no, um, the, you know the, the, the courts to look at. But uh, you're right. You know, the reality is you can have an appeal over the decision. If she were to win a case, the government would doubtless appeal. So yes, we're going to be stuck in this process for months on end. But that yeah. is, I'm afraid, the legal process. And that will cost us hundreds of thousands of pounds minimum, I would imagine. Uh, indeed, it will, yeah. um, because this is a very expensive case that will, uh, obviously is going to be a very complex case and one that will require a lot of uh, our time from barristers. Yeah. Now, I know as well um, uh, that you track in your organisation some of the other things that are going on around this one particular story, because, of course, yes, she's a jihadi bride, but she's not the only one. Some of them have already come back. Uh, we've already got uh, problems with, with more uh, refugees who are in some of these detention camps in Syria. You know, what's going to be in store for all of them? Well, I think there are different cases, obviously, between refugees and, and British citizens who've left this country to go and fight uh, in Syria for the enemy, essentially. Uh, what we have to guard against is the return to this country of people who um, are not um, are not apologetic and have not changed their ways mm. in terms of what's happened. It is perfectly possible for radicals, after they undergo through a programme, uh, to change their ways. You've got a very famous example in the form of Majid Nawaz. Um, but there are obviously plenty of examples where de radical 
characterization fails as well. And I think, you know, we have to look at each case on its merits or demerits and consider carefully whether we are going to allow people to come back here who have basically decided to fight against this country. But Sajid Javid took a pretty brave stand because there are plenty of people in the world of politics uh, in which we now inhabit, David Lammies and the, and the like, who would be very, very soft on this kind of woman and say, oh, well, you know, she was only a child when she was taken out there. She didn't know what she was doing and all of that. But actually, uh, he took a very brave stand and said, no, she's no longer a British citizen. I'm stripping her of that, despite the fact that others said, oh, you can't do that. That's illegal. You know, why is why is he kind of gone so quiet here? Can he not press home his advantage and say, no, we're going to change the law. This woman is not wanted back here. She is not any longer welcome in this country. She is no longer a British citizen. She does not uh, qualify for legal aid and just just change the law. Well, you can't just change the law like that. There's precedent and there's a way that you obviously have to handle cases that are already in the system. But you're right to highlight that Sajid Javid was absolutely correct to make this call. At the time, a lot of people were critical yeah. of the idea that you should exclude someone from citizenship to, to stop them from coming back in the well, country. Many, and, many people said, stories. and many people said that legally he couldn't do it, and yet he, did, he then did it. That's absolutely the case. And what has come out since has, of course, been corroboration now that she wasn't some desperate housewife, you know, hiding yeah. in her home in Raqqa, but turns out to be part of the militant uh, police, religious police, mm-hmm. who are going around lashing and imprisoning women. Uh, the reports are out there that she indeed um, you know, sewed on or uh, suicide vests on to bombers, and, which meant they couldn't take them off without blowing themselves up. This is direct complicity. If that is true, this is direct complicity in crimes against humanity and yeah. war crimes. Exactly right. Well, so maybe she should come back to, uh, to Britain via the and stand trial there. You know, there are so many reasons why this should not happen, not just because of public opinion, but surely, uh, Dr. Allen, as you know, uh, because there there, there is legal precedent in a way because Sajid Javid did change the law willy-nilly because apparently, supposedly, he couldn't strip her of her citizenship um, if she was not a a citizen of any other country. And so he did it anyway. No, 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 no. She was, she was entitled to citizenship of Bangladesh, and there was a precedent for that, which is why he kept within the parameters of the law, which is why he would have done it. The idea the Home Secretary would have broken the law on this, uh, I don't think is a, is a credible one. He had legal advice explaining how he could do it. He followed that precisely. Um, some people didn't like it, obviously, but um, he has been proven correct, uh, given the nature of the threat that she posed to the UK uh, by uh, the um, activities that have come out since her banning. Sure, but the Bangladeshis confirmed as well, in the same breath, that she was not a member of, uh, of, the, of their society ah, and that, that she is. did not have citizenship. The fact that she claimed, or that he claimed that she could have was, you know, that was, a, it was an arguable case, wasn't it? No, no, it's not arguable at all. The Bangladeshis were quite correct to say she did not have citizenship at that point in time. She had not made an application uh, to Bangladesh citizenship. However, as, as we understand it, um, uh, Bangladeshi citizenship can be obtained through uh, uh, your, your mother's... Yeah, but my uh, point is... My point is Alan, no, 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 as long as you're able to gain... Yeah, access, yeah, but you're arguing a legal nicety here. My point is, is that she was not a citizen at the time when he stripped her of citizenship, which technically was matter. illegal. The legal, well, well, I say it doesn't matter. That's going to be tested in court, of course. That's yeah. part of the grounds well, of appeal. Exactly right. But he, but he would have received, just to make quite clear, he would have received legal advice from uh, lawyers in the government to say you can do this. There's no question the Home Secretary would of have course. been reckless and uh, undertaken something that wouldn't have had a legal backing. No, of course not. But what we're saying, Dr. Allen, is that he could lose the appeal. You're quite well, right he could to, do. to say that, right? Which could mean that he was reckless, in which case, you know, why not be reckless again and change the law so she can't have the, uh, the legal aid? That's my point. It's a sort of logical fallacy, if you like. Well, 
reckless in this context is a legal term which meant he didn't take any advice. If, if he's taken advice and the advice is proven wrong, well, that's a legal issue that gets debated in court, obviously. Yeah. Um, but he can't literally just change the law like that. It's not possible to do that when you've got existing cases. That would affect not just her, but many other people well, as that's, well. That's I agree the law about. needs to be... Well, I agree, but the law needs to be changed. Yeah. And the, the lesson is, once again, you need to update outdated legislation, legislation that doesn't take into effect uh, what has been happening recently uh, against threats to the country. I think most people in the country overwhelmingly would suggest uh, that someone who has left the country, gone to fight for or gone to support um, an enemy combatant, mm. should not have access to legal exactly. aid in order to get back into the country. Exactly. Most people, I think, would agree with that. But, no, I, I th you know, that re does rely upon the law being changed to affect that. Yes, no, and I think on that we could certainly agree. Dr. Anna Mendoza, thank you very much indeed, Executive Director uh, for the Henry Jackson Society. My point, though, and I'm sorry to labour it for everybody out there listening, uh, is that if you can make a change to the law, yes, albeit with the advice that you can do so, uh, well, fine, you can do that. That's what Sajid Javid did. Well, let's do it again and let's make it completely and utterly illegal for anybody who has been stripped of British citizenship and who has gone to fight for ISIS to simply be unaware and unable to get legal aid. Surely it's not that difficult, is it? Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, I've got a great tweet here from Rama who says these climate change protesters should be taken back in time and put into the Ark of Noah and sail through those floods and tell us that it was due to climate change. How ridiculous. Well, you do worry, don't you, when you hear some of these people talking about the terrible things that are going to happen as if they've got some kind of crystal ball that nobody else has got. It really is quite extraordinary. It is, of course, school holidays as well, so a lot of these kids uh, are having a good time going out for the day in London. I wonder what they'll be eating. I wonder what they'll be drinking. Uh, I can be pretty sure uh, that they will be uh, not exactly true to their word. But let's talk about men with beards because apparently they carry more germs than dogs and some of the bacteria could actually be deadly. Let's talk to Joe Hemmings about this. Joe, a very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon. Now, listen, I don't know what your view of bearded men is, um, but certainly if you've ever been out with a bearded man, you'll know that it's pretty gross, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm clearly not a great fan of bearded men. <laughs> uh, apart from the hygiene, I just think, you know, kissing a bearded man, you know, I put my makeup on carefully. I don't want to be left with a sort of, you know, nasty red rash on my makeup off. I just don't find them attractive. No. And I mean, this is pretty shocking stuff that the deadly bacteria that lurks in there uh, is actually worse than what is in uh, a number of different types of breeds of dogs. Some dogs, in well, fact. Oh, yeah. There have... are researchers that, uh, in Switzerland um, found that half of nearly half of all sample beards have bacteria that was dangerous to human health. So they checked 18 beards 
and the necks of 30 dogs from a number of breeds and found that the dogs had lower levels of uh, the bacteria than the beards of age. Um, and all the beards in all the men from 18 to 76 had high bacterial counts. Mm. That's really quite worrying, isn't it? I mean, because no matter what you say about men with beards, I've always had a view that men with beards are sort of covering something up, like a weak chin or something like that. And I'm happy to say um, that that kind of craze of a few years ago where you had the hipster beard, which I would say, yeah. I'd say I'd, every time I went to Borough Market, I'd see all these people walking around with these ridiculously long kind of, you know, but tapered beards, but with covered in food, you know, because they're all there to eat something. And it's very hard to eat if you've got a long beard without making a mess. I mean, it's certainly hard to keep clean. I think part of the reason that the beards were back in vogue was that hipster beard. Um, you know, it made them look supposedly older, stronger, more dominant. But it's very tribal. Everybody had to look the same. Yeah. You really kind of had to tell difference between people because they sort of made themselves look homogenous, uh, which is what I think beards do rather than an individual. Uh, interesting, there was a comment from uh, the Beards Liberation Front founder Keith Flett on this. Oh, for God's sake, um, don't tell me there is even one of those. Oh, there is one, and it's not because beards aren't clean uh, that we don't like them, it's because we're pognophobic. Pognophobic? We have, we have a fear of beards. Apparently that, that's why women don't like them. Well, I don't consider myself to be pognophobic. Uh, I just happen not to like them very much, and now I know they're particularly unpleasant in terms of hygiene standards. It's done nothing to change my mind. Well, it does worry me that whenever I've known anyone with a beard, you, you kind of wonder whether they... I mean, presumably, obviously, they shower every day, but do you have to shampoo the beard every day? I mean, I don't know. I've never had a beard. I've never grown one. I've never wanted to grow one. Uh, and, in fact, it wasn't until I was about probably 23 or 24 that I even started shaving every day. <laughs> well, we couldn't have grown one then, but even if you want to. But I think there's a massive range of male cosmetics out now for beards. Yeah. I mean, there's shampoos, there's oils, uh, moisturisers, God knows what. I mean, really, as much for your hair as there is for your beard. I mean, there is no reason not to keep it clean, but the trouble is, you know, are you, after a meal, going to go and, you know, wash and clean your beard? No, you're probably going to walk around all day yeah. with the bits of food from whatever you've eaten in any meal until you have your next shower. And also, we're talking about the climate change protesters today. And, and while I'm not, in, generally speaking, in favour of, of those types of people, you know, you do live, and most of us live in a, in a sort of urban, relatively grubby environment. You know, the air's not brilliant when you walk around London. And I don't imagine that if your hair gets dirty when you're walking around, then presumably your beard does as well. Yeah, of course. In fact, probably more so because beards, by their very sort of texture, probably take in more more of the pollutants and bits passing and dust and dirt than our actual hair does. Yeah, I mean, it makes me feel quite unwell thinking about it, really. But I'm now worried that when I go to a, like a restaurant or, or I go and buy some food anywhere, if I see a guy with a beard, I'm going to be a bit concerned. I think you see a, a, perhaps a waiter with a long beard hovering over and serving you might be worth paying a bit of attention yeah. to it because they're probably surrounded by food all day long. Who knows what might be lurking in there? I know that's what I mean. I mean, it's not it's not good, is it? I mean, I, I just uh, I mean, what? How, where are you on sort of you know the trendy stubbly uh, type of beard? I kind of don't mind stubble actually. I think stubble's okay. Right. Uh, quite like it. In fact, I think when it just starts becoming that really shoreditchy, yeah, uh, huge long thing, and it quite often goes along with. A, a ponytail with thinning hair on top and a ponytail or mm. some ridiculous hairstyle that goes with the beard. And I do find what what makes it worse, they do, people do look older. That's no necessarily that's a good thing at all, but they just look the same. They have the same kind of clothing and the beard's just yeah. identifying with each other. And I 
don't find that particularly. I, and I also, I mean, you may you may find this a slightly old-fashioned view, but I think anyone who, I mean, if you're just going to grow a beard like sort of wild man, that's one thing. But if you're going to sort of taper it, or you're going to spend a lot of time trimming it, or making it into a particular shape, I find that a bit vain. And I'm not a, a big fan of men who are vain. No, I, mean, I think you have to be quite vain. I mean, you used to have to take care of your parents to keep a beard looking halfway decent to be honest. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. I was looking at some of the research that was going on about whether women like beards or don't like beards. And it's very mixed. Basically, when they're in vogue, they like them. And when they're not, they don't. Really? So, yeah. So there's no kind of overall consensus that ever lasts more than a passing phase. I mean, apart from going all the way back into some weird period of history before we had photographs, I don't think we've ever had, have we, a, a prime minister with a beard? Uh... No, I don't think we have. I mean, I think we've had a king. We've had kings with beards, haven't we? We definitely had kings with beards. Yeah, no, I mean, it kind of gets. Maybe that's part of the reason why all the kind of you know trendy um, hipsters want to have the beards because they kind of could be definitely distinguished from being anybody who might be you know uh, royal or noble or honourable yeah. or whatever. Um, so it just makes them look a little tougher and more street. Um, yeah. You're going to get a lot of cursing on Twitter for this. I know I am. <laughs> I don't think but. so. I mean, I, you know, honestly, I mean, I've, I've known people here at work, for example, who I've known for a long time, and many of them now have beards because it became sort of trendy a few years ago. Some of the younger guys, right? And they do actually look completely different. I've forgotten what they looked like before they had the beard. And when they take, if they ever occasionally shave off the beard, I remember yeah. how, how sort of weaselly they looked without it. Yeah, I mean, that is quite interesting. I remember seeing someone a few years ago who sort of came into to my office who had a beard who hadn't previously and I didn't recognise him at all. <laughs> I mean, with the beard. So it works both ways. It completely changes somebody's look. And if you have a beard, you generally have a moustache. And a moustache covering your top lip. Oh, I think, you know, a man's mouth can be a very lovely thing. Yeah. They don't really want to see bits of hair moving around when they speak or when they're eating. Um, sort of leave it alone. And it must be I mean, I mean, I'm sorry to, to ask this as a personal question. It must be weird to kiss somebody with a beard. It must be just horrible. It's weird, particularly if they... I mean, stubble's quite bad, actually, for that, because it's really sort of prickly. Yeah. And so it can leave you... You know, you know when you kiss someone's beard, you can't really sort of then look like you haven't because you do tend to get a bit of uh, red rash. And it must smell you. a bit as well, doesn't it? I mean, I'm sorry, <laughs> you know. Stubble does. And I think it cleans Not, beast, not stubble, no. I'm talking about like a proper, like a big beard. Well, unless it's, unless it's washed regularly, it's just like any other hair, perhaps more so. Yeah, yeah of course it's going to smell. Like mm. It's got oils in it. You know, we, we need to keep them, they need to keep them clean. Yeah, it's making me feel quite unwell, this conversation. Listen, Joe, thank you so much. Um, have you got anybody you can tell us that you fancy who has a beard, like in the public eye, that you wouldn't mind seeing? Um, oh, I mean, maybe. David. I mean, David Beckham has a beard sometimes. Um, he does I, sometimes. I think I don't mind them when they have a beard sometimes. Yeah. I think it's just shaking up your looks always a good thing. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm thinking people like you know Johnny Depp when they get hairy. Mostly when they get hairier, they kind of get less attractive in my view. So I, I like their clean shaven version rather than their yes. bearded version. I think you're absolutely right, Joe. Thank you very much indeed, Joe Hemming, psychologist and relationship expert uh, on the whys and wherefores and the do's and don'ts and the pluses and the minuses of beards. I'm just not very keen, I'm afraid. I've just, I've never wanted to have one, and I don't think I ever will. Oh three four 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 nine nine one thousand. And now the news coming from a clinic in Switzerland that if you have a beard, there's a pretty good chance that you're carrying around more germs than your average dog.
That's pretty disgusting. This is talk radio. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. teamed up with Imagine Cruising to give you away an amazing Venice Symphonic Orient Express cruise holiday for two people. This 14-day holiday includes hotel stays in Rome, Florence and Venice. A 10-night full-board cruise on board the brand-new MS New Statendam and is worth over £6,000. Plus, you'll be returning to London in elegant style on the world-famous Venice Simplon Orient Express, where you'll enjoy the opulent surroundings of the 1920s carriages as you swish through the European countryside. Simply visit talkradio.co.uk forward slash competitions and register your details to take part in the Italian job quiz on air this week during the Matthew Wright show. It's that easy. Full terms and conditions can be found on the Talk Radio website. That's all thanks to Imagine Cruising. Matthew Wright, of course, coming up uh, just after one o'clock and the news. He'll be here to tell us what's going on uh, on his show with Kevin O'Sullivan a little bit later on. Right now, though, let's go to the phones. 0344 499 1000. Carla uh, is in Glasgow and wants to talk about the royal family. Hello, Carla. Hi, how are you doing? I'm enjoying your show. I oh, enjoy good. It every day. Excellent. Well, welcome. Thank you for calling. What do you want to tell us? Well, I, don't, I, th- I would get rid of the lot of the royal family and I don't think they value for money at all to right. the UK. What about the Queen, though? She's all right, isn't she? I, she's, I like the Queen and she works hard yeah. for this country, but at the same time, if she wasn't the Queen, I mean, people come, visitors come to the UK yeah. and they say, oh, well, if the royal family wasn't there, we wouldn't get the visitors. The visitors don't come to see the royal family because they don't get to see them. They come to see the palaces and the Tower of London and all the buildings. And well, mind you, did you see... Money. They're one of the richest families Well, they the are. World. Well, that's right. I mean, they, look, a lot of people did come for Harry and Meghan's wedding, though. Do you remember all those people filling the streets in Windsor? Yeah, three million quid it cost. I know. The UK taxpayer, I know. and now she won't go out and do her job, which she's getting paid for. That's I don't shocking. Think it's right. Listen, I think the Queen is great, and I would support her until the day she abdicates or the day she passes away. But I don't think there's any... I'm with you. I used to think it would be good to carry on, but I think they should just finish it after after she's gone. I heard a caller earlier saying that, look, they should just become private citizens. I totally agree. Yeah. Like the Queen, I mean, the Queen's worked her whole life. She puts the country first. But see all the rest of them and all their kids and all their kids that they're going to have. It's costing us a fortune. Yeah. And they really don't care. I've been told not to swear, so... <laughs> they really don't care about the, pri- the, the people. No, of course. You know, I mean, they've got enough private collections. If, if, they, if they really cared about people... Sell one of their paintings in their private collection and open up a hospital ward. Yeah. Or, tra- or train more nurses or more teachers or something. Well, maybe they could house half the homeless from Windsor inside their <laughs> massive mansion that we also paid a load of money uh, You're to right. renovate. And, and if we get short of all the rest of them, think of the, the money we would save on the staff's wages. I know. I know. They'd all be out of a job, though, Carla, I suppose, but that's another story. Well, they'd find jobs elsewhere. Yeah, of course. They'd give them a, give them a tenor to work for Nicola Sturgeon. I love Nicola Sturgeon. She's my hero. She's a good friend of mine, actually, but we'll talk about that some other time. Carla, take it easy. Thank you for calling. Let's talk to Mark in Dublin. Hello, Mark. Hey, Mike, how you doing, mate? You yeah, right? very well indeed. What do you want to say? <laughs> oh, Mike, this, uh, the woman that was on Julia's show that's leading the protest today, 
she came on there and she's saying she's got two kids and pregnant with a third one and she's moaning about climate change. Yes. The amount of people on the planet. You know, she's she's saying we're going to be arguing over a tin of baked beans. Is this the woman who was? Food. Is this the woman who was banging on about cannibalism? Yeah, she's she's got two she's got two kids and pregnant with a third one. Yeah. And I never hear these people talking about the amount of people that are on the planet. No. You know, and the, the fact that we're, we're destroying. God knows how much land to build more houses and cultivate yeah. to, to grow more food. She's breeding there. <laughs> how many kids? It's hard to imagine the <laughs> the hypocrisy and the idiocy of these people, isn't it? I'd, I'd love to go on the show and just ask them this morning. But, you know, I don't get the people. Anyway, that's all I wanted to no, say. No, listen, so, yeah. you're quite, listen, Mark, you're quite right. Well, listen, I'll tell you what we'll do. If we find any of them glued to anything, I'll send them your regards and uh, I may, may chuck a, a tomato at your behalf. Thank you very much indeed. Mark in Dublin. He's absolutely right. These climate change protesters have all got loads of kids. The kids are the things that are causing climate change. So why don't you stop having kids for a start, at least, and show yourself uh, to be at least uh, not hypocritical uh, when you're calling for everybody else to change their behaviour. Let's talk to Michael, uh, who I think is calling in from Croatia, it says here. Hello, Michael. Hello, Mike. How are you? Nice I to think... talk to you and thank, and thank you for taking my call. Not at yeah. all. I, th- I think you're so far the furthest East uh, European person we've had on. So welcome from Croatia. <laughs> OK, thank you. What would you like to say? Uh, a comment about uh, David Lamy. Yeah. Um, I'm Jewish and uh, I may get a bit emotional, so please bear with me. OK. Um, members of my family died in the Holocaust and he demeans their memories of my relatives. And I do not consider Boris Johnson or Jacob Rees-Mogg Nazis, far from it. And for a member of the Labour Party to call Boris and Jacob Nazis, when members of his own party are clearly anti-Semitic, it's worse than ironic. Mm. I also remember Ken Livingston using similar language when he uh, attacked a Jewish journalist. That's I right. I think he used the word Nazis. Uh, he did. He said he was like a Nazi concentration camp guard, that he was working for yeah. the Evening Standard, yeah. Correct. I also remember David Lammy blaming uh, the police and the fire brigade for not revealing the true numbers. He said hundreds who died at Grenfell, which turned out to be completely untrue. He also uh, claimed that uh, what happened at Grenfell with the cladding was the responsibility of Kensington and Chelsea, and it was, but failed to mention that in his own borough there is cladding. So I don't know how we can believe or adhere to anything that uh, Mr. Lamy says. Mm. There's no and question. Hear... Yeah, sorry. sorry, sorry, Michael. I was just going to say, there's no question an awful lot of what he says, he says for effect. But he doesn't realise, like he did on Sunday, the types of people like yourself, Michael, uh, who are yeah. affected by it, but not, but not politically, emotionally. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I went to uh, Auschwitz last uh, Yeah, for a commemoration. And if he really wants to know what a Nazi is, I'm sure he hasn't been there. But he and the rest of the Labour Party should visit Auschwitz, educate themselves, and find out what a real Nazi is. So just to loosely term people Nazis, I would never use that of anybody in the Labour Party. I would never say they were Nazis. 
No. Well, somebody uh, somebody uh, tweeted at me this morning to say that to use that word in that kind of loose way demeans not only the yeah. word um, to a playground insult, but it also demeans the suffering of people who actually went through the the genuine Nazi period of history. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just ridiculous, and uh, it, it's all very clear. When you played that clip of Celebrity Mastermind, yes. it made everything clear to me. The man is uneducated. Yeah. I mean, he he tends to be a one-trick pony. I've watched him before. It's largely he raises the, the race card every time. Yeah. And he, he says he's, oh, I think in that earlier clip that was played, I think, uh, um, that he was talking about his constituents. He cares about his constituents. Mm. Does he realize that he probably has within his own borough um, Jewish members of the constituency? I mean, uh, the man has uh, completely lost it. Yeah. I mean, it's just terrifying that this is a person who is an elected MP who could, uh, if uh, Corbyn ever wins the next election, be uh, put in the cabinet. I know. Along with Diane Abbott and a few That's, others. I mean, that is genuinely terrifying, I would say, Michael. Thank you very much indeed for your call. Very heartfelt. Really appreciate you making that call. And it's important that people like you stand up to people like Lammy and tell him precisely what history should have taught him uh, if he could be bothered to find out about it. That would be the real uh, uh, way forward here, wouldn't it? 0344 499 1000. Once more, our callers setting the agenda and saying the things that the politicians should be saying, but in fact don't seem capable of doing. It's the common sense show here uh, on Talk Radio. It's the people's voice, and we will keep continually uh, make, making sure that you have access to it. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.